Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at bite.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Series 6 in Progress. I'm John Fugel saying good evening and welcome to the love fest that is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble for the next three hours, taking your calls at 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. We would love to hear from you guys tonight. There is so much to cover, so much to discuss, so much to unpack, and so much to ridicule and brutally mock. And you're part of it. So give a call anytime. 866-997-GRIT. Maybe, maybe I'll repeat that number again at some point over the next couple hours. Um, We are glad to be with you coast to coast. Hello to our evil army of the night listening live. We love you. Hello to our daywalkers listening the next day or the day after on the SiriusXM app, SiriusXM On Demand, or the John Fugelsang podcast. We love all yous all as well. You guys are allowed to call in too, you know, every now and then you're allowed to just go to your phone, be part of the show you listen to. Be lovely to have you. And uh, you can always write to us at our show's Facebook page. A couple of announcements. We have been racking up the great interviews, people. I mean, my God, it's it's getting embarrassing. We had Ryan Johnson and 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 we had Natasha Leone and last week for for Poker Face and Tim Schmidt of the Eagles and we had Anna Gasteyer from SNL. Uh, we just taped interviews with two-time Oscar winner Christoph Waltz and. Earlier today, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. It went well. We're getting married. Um, so there's a lot of other fun celebrity names coming up. We hope to share with you very soon. We promise to keep on bringing you a very healthy blend of journalism and politics as well as pop culture and uh, something we like to think of as comedy. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. He runs our show from somewhere below the Mason-Dixon line. The mighty Thea Harper is our associate producer. She'll be joining us later on this evening for another installment of The Minority Report with Thea Harper. We've also got some great guests tonight. Um, Professor Corey Brettschneider 
will be joining us. I love when he comes here. He is a great constitutional scholar. He's bringing along a former student of his who has gone on to write for the nation and now published her first novel, Fatin Abbas. Her novel, I got to say, is really amazing. It's called Ghost Season, and it's uh, loosely based on her life. Her family fled political persecution in the Sudan after the 1989 military coup. She's a refugee. She's the child of a dissident. Her father was thrown in jail for speaking out against the regime. She covered the Sudan for The Nation magazine before going full-time into teaching and writing. And her new book is getting raves. Dave Eggers called it utterly mesmerizing and a brilliant depiction of the blurry psychological and physical borders that divide Sudan and South Sudan. So Corey said he was going to bring her with me. And I said, oh, great. I'll, I'll ask you nothing but questions about uh, how Madonna looked at the Grammys. And, and they said, thanks. Also, Dr. Jason Nichols will join us in the middle hour to break down the political stories of the week, including the, you know, the State of the Union address and the fallout from it and how much fun Joe Biden's been having with it. And Mike Pence has now been subpoenaed by Jack Smith. It's starting to get interesting. Ron DeSantis might have an easier time getting the nomination than I had planned on. And as always, our most important guest is you, 866-997-4748. A little more announcements. If you're in New York City this weekend or next week, on Sunday, maybe you're not watching the Super Bowl. Come on down to Caveat on New York City's Lower East Side. It's a groovy performance space. I'm going to be doing a show with uh, our good friend Carol Montgomery, star of Showtime's Funny Women of a Certain Age. Um, also, Jim Mandrinos, who's a terrific comic. It's called What's So Funny About Aging? A storytelling show. And I'm going to, I think, tell a story about um, how insane it is to be in a relationship for 19 years and then ruin it by uh, having a child at an absurdly late age. Because I, that's that's what I did. 19 years. We were the couple everyone hated because we all got along. We were, we were still in love. We were the couple at weddings that liked each other. And then we had a child. And I'll tell you, I, I've been all over the country. I've never met a couple, conservative, liberal, anywhere, that waited 19 years. To completely ruin their relationship. Also, on Monday night, uh, I'm doing a play. I'm doing a one act. It's just one night. It's at the Producers Club here in New York City. I'm going to post some posters for it. I didn't know until a few hours ago it was open to the public. But it's a, a play by Sean Lynch, who's a very talented comedian and playwright, who studied playwriting under Arthur Miller, believe it or not, back in the day at NYU. And it's a play called Wildfire Dogs about an imaginary meeting one night in a bar between Arthur Miller and Joe DiMaggio six years after the death of their mutual ex-wife, Marilyn Monroe. If you were as skeeved out by Blonde on Netflix as I was, uh, this play is delightful. I am. I was very impressed and very happy to do it, and I'm actually playing Arthur Miller, despite the fact I'm the most Catholic person in the cast. So we'll be posting posters on that and flyers and all that, and uh, come on down. Okay, I think we're all set here. 866-997-GRIT is our number. Let's do a show. Now, here, here's the deal. I, I, I wanted to let you know before we start anything, um, tonight's show is dedicated very, very much to Congresswoman Angie Craig, Democrat from the great state of Minnesota, who, in case you haven't heard, was attacked in her own building in D.C. in the elevator by a stranger who seemed to be, according to the police, under the influence of something. Uh, she fended off her attacker mid-assault by throwing her cup of hot coffee on him, and it worked. And this is why I've said every woman in America deserves to have free hot coffee and guns. I have no problem with women having all the guns and all the ammo. AR-15 should be banned for men 
because men have shown they're the gender we can't trust with AR-15s. But women, please, please arm them. That's fine. Also, Mike Pence subpoenaed by special counsel Jack Smith. I want to talk about that. And I want to I want to talk about Burt Bacharach briefly, the great composer, the virtuoso, the master of 1960s pop who created and defined a sound that is very hard to imitate, has died at age 94. His compositions and collaborations define much of the sonic landscape of the late 20th century. Burt Bacharach won six Grammys. He won three Oscars. He wrote 73 top 40 hits in the U.S., 52 top 40 hits in the U.K. Over 1,000 different artists recorded his songs. And along with his first songwriting partner, Hal David, he received the Library of Congress Gershwin Prize for Popular Song, the first time the honor was ever given to a songwriting team. They premiered on Broadway with Promises, Promises. Guys, play Burt Bacharach. Listen to some Burt Bacharach this week. It's already been a brutal year for lovers of music. We lost Jeff Beck. We lost our beloved David Crosby. But now it's when I think of Burt Bacharach, I'll think of the influence of jazz harmony. I'll think about the syncopated rhythmic patterns, how irregular his phrasing and melodies could be, the modulation, the changing meters, the unusual chord progressions that seem to be coming out of nowhere and were intricately constructed compositions. Listen to Aretha Franklin. I say a little prayer. Elvis Costello, God give me strength. Dionne Warwick singing Walk On By. Listen to the Beatles singing Baby It's You. Or the Shirelles doing the original. Listen to Naked Eyes covering Always Something There to Remind Me. Yeah. Did you know that was a Burt Bacharach song? And it was a cover of the original version. What about Christopher Cross, Arthur's theme, The Best That You Can Do? Listen to The White Stripes covering I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself. Listen to Jackie DeShannon playing What the World Needs Now is Love. B.J. Thomas singing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. That was another Oscar. Listen to Elvis Costello's Amazing Wife Diana Krall with her jazz cover of The Look of Love. The Carpenters, they long to be close to you. Listen to Tom Jones singing What's New Pussycat. Even if you don't think you know Burt Bacharach, you have heard his music most of your life, and the artists you love have heard it too. Listen to Live to See Another Day. That's not that famous a song, but that was a song he released in 2018. It was dedicated to the survivors of school gun violence. Um, proceeds from the release went to the charity Sandy Hook Promise. You know what? Listen to some of the songs he wrote with his last collaborator, his third wife, Carol Bayer Sager, and their song, That's What Friends Are For, which, as a kid, I was not a fan of, and as I got older and realized that Elton John and Dionne Warwick and Stevie Wonder had all come together to raise money to fight AIDS, this song means more to me than ever. And watch the first Austin Powers movie to see Burt Bacharach making a cameo, playing himself, winking, and performing his own song, What the World Needs Now is Love. Thank you, Burt Bacharach. I'd love to praise you more. But I gotta talk about Mitt Romney. Can we talk about Mitt Romney for a minute? I've been harsh on governor-turned-senator Romney over the years. Harsh but fair. You know, he is a millionaire at birth. He supported the Vietnam War, but he avoided going. He likes to fire people. He's a vulture capitalist, likes to buy companies and lay everyone off. He thinks millionaires bad are rough and need more tax cuts. He tried to present himself as a GOP alternative to Trump while still agreeing with Trump on most of the issues economically. And what can I say? I mean, I've been watching Mitt Romney on TV my whole life. If I could be that stiff, I'd work in gay porn. I mean, this is a guy who protested in favor of sending troops to Vietnam. Let me repeat that. He picketed in favor 
of the war in Vietnam. In other words, he picketed in college in favor of sending other people to fight and die in that evil fucking war, but avoided going himself. I, 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 I'm getting worked up. I'm sorry. Every time I see Mitt Romney, I always wonder, hey, how did Satan get Ward Cleaver pregnant? Ah, see, I'm getting mean. But but I'm sorry. He's he's frustrated me. The guy used to be pro-choice and then he flipped. He used to be pro-LGBT rights. Then he flipped. He used to support a health care mandate. Then he flipped. He used to be from Massachusetts. And then he flipped. The guy flips like a crack house mattress. I call him reversible mittens. He's like he's like the inflatable guy outside a car dealership just bouncing in the wind. I'm getting mean. I haven't talked about taking out the bolts out of his neck. I mean, but I'm sorry. And, and Mitt Romney, he, he resorted to birtherism running against Barack Obama in August of 2012. He said on stage, no one's ever asked to see my birth certificate. They know that this is the place that we were born and raised. <sighs> Imagine how angry I was when my only child was born on Mitt Romney's birthday. That was awkward. Then I found out Mitt Romney shares a birthday with Ron Jeremy. That was really awkward. Mitt Romney and Ron Jeremy? Imagine that. One of the most famous penises in the world. And Ron Jeremy. Mitt Romney has taken more than $13 million from the NRA. That's more than any other senator. But he stood up to Trump. And he won my respect. And he hates him. And Trump hates him. They do. Mitt Romney and Donald Trump hate each other so much they could both sing lead in the Eagles. And he paid a price. The Utah GOP never forgave him for not going along with Trump's lies. Of course, he voted to acquit Trump for obstruction of Congress, but, you know, can't have everything. I mean, and Mitt Romney stood up uh, against George Santos the other night. I'm like, OK, Mitt, right on. You're, you're making me praise you now. All these years of making me furious, but you stood up to Trump, stood up to George Santos. And then today, here's the thing. This is what I've been saying about Mitt Romney. Remember, we were growing up. There were Republicans who were really nice people. You know, they, they like like they were wrong about everything. But they weren't driven by hate. They weren't totally stupid. They, they were wrong about stuff. But they were, they were nice. You have relatives like that, don't you? Every liberal has a conservative in their life they love, just like every conservative has a liberal in their life they pretend to tolerate. It, it's, it's natural. I mean, I look at today's Republicans. They're angrier and louder and dumber and meaner. I call them the illiterati. And I think, my God, how I, I long for Republicans who are just wrong about everything, as opposed to racist and ignorant and mean and wrong about everything. Well, today, I'll tell you, Mitt Romney acted like a man. <laughs> he actually told CNN that Joe Biden and the White House made the right call in waiting to shoot down the Chinese surveillance balloon until it was over the Atlantic Ocean last Saturday. Yeah. He said, was everything done 100% correctly? I can't imagine that would be the case on almost anything we do. But I came away more confident. I mean, he could be hanged in the GOP for agreeing with Joe Biden about something. But he's right. These hotheads saying he should have shot it down right away. Wait, and create a 20-mile debris field of metal? Again, when you talk to a Republican loved one who says Biden was weak for not shooting it down right away, ask them, you know, how many pounds of metal are you comfortable crashing through the ceiling of a preschool? In the Senate, the Chinese spy balloon is still the talk of the town. Give a listen to this. Here's minority leader Mitch McConnell, who believes China, well, America's their second fiddle. The president downplayed the threat posed by the People's Republic of China and claimed, without any evidence, that the United States was in its strongest position to compete with China in decades. I'm not sure in what universe these remarks apply. Here's the real world. 
China's intelligence services just got a close-up look the entire U.S. mainland. Reports indicate Chinese hypersonic weapons and land-based ICBM launchers exceed our own. And President Biden's last budget proposed cutting our national defense funding after inflation. The Commander-in-Chief seems more preoccupied with hidden resort fees than hidden Chinese malware in our phones, computers, and high-tech infrastructure. So Biden shoots it down, uh, and Mitch is still attacking him. Never mind the fact that China has satellites. China has access to Google Earth. They can see America from the sky anytime they want. So can any 13-year-old kid with the access to the Internet. Boy, Joe, don't you feel glad about complimenting Mitch so much? He really paid you back for that, didn't he? Well, we know now the Chinese spy balloon was outfitted with multiple antennas and other equipment, clearly for intelligence surveillance. China's flown a lot of balloons over more than 40 countries across five continents in the past, the State Department revealed today. Now, the Chinese government's still saying it was a weather balloon, but um, the State Department said the equipment they found was inconsistent with that kind of use. The antennas were designed to be capable of collecting and geolocating communications. This balloon had solar panels big enough to produce sufficient power to operate multiple active intelligence collection centers. Officials are confident the balloon's manufacturer has a relationship with the Chinese military. So the House passed a resolution condemning China by a, a, a 419 to zero vote. Pure bipartisanship. That's rare. Thank you, China. Ilhan Omar and George Santos voted just the same way. Michael McCall of Texas, Republican, said, I've never seen a foreign nation adversary fly a reconnaissance aircraft that you could see from the ground with your own eyes. And Senator Lisa Murkowski is very upset that this spy balloon made it past Alaska. As an Alaskan, I am so angry. I want to use other words, but I'm not going to. The fact of the matter is, Alaska is the first line of defense for America, right? What? If you're going to have Russia coming at you, if you're going to have China what? coming at you, what? we know exactly how they come. Through Alaska? They come up and they go over Alaska. What? Sometimes they go on the top, sometimes they go straight across, but when? Alaska when? is it. Wait, 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 and thank goodness, thank goodness the Pentagon, the Department of Defense have recognized where we sit on the globe to take care of the rest of this country. And thank goodness that we have invested the resources to make sure that we have the eyes on the skies and every place else. More fifth generation fighters, sitting there in the state of Alaska. We know that we're proud of it. Everything that we do to, to stay focused, whether it's Cobra Dane out in the Aleutians or whether it's clear Air Force Base that has a long-range discrimination radar or out in Greeley, where we have the ground-based missile defense, we're ready. We're ready, man. John. <laughs> yes, Chris. John. <laughs> Yes. The truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, you want Alaska on that wall. You need you need Alaska, Alaska on, on that wall. Yeah. I, I don't know when she talks about how, you know, they always come over the top or the bottom of Alaska. I'm like, no, I don't know that. But OK, 
wow, maybe maybe it's for the dispensaries. I hear they're lovely. I never would have pegged Alaska for a bottom, but all right. Yeah, who knows? Thank you. I mean, so contrast all that with Mitt Romney, and you'll understand the balloon story is done. The Republicans have milked all the outrage they can do from it. Now they're condemning China or condemning Joe Biden, but the hissy fit's done. They've gotten their memes out. Fox News audiences drooling on the clicker have been told that Joe Biden is feeble and allows China to walk all over him. And he's also a bloodthirsty maniac trying to start World War III. To watch Tucker, you got to believe those two things. But let's bring it back to Mitt. I mean, you know, he said, um, I believe that the administration, the president, our military and intelligence agencies acted skillfully and with care. At the same time, their capabilities are extraordinarily impressive. Mitt Romney acted like a damn adult and said the president did the right thing. And that gives him more credibility. The same way Joe Biden being nice to the Republicans while they shouted at him gave him more credibility. Let people like us be the bomb throwers. You know, there's plenty of folks in the media, plenty of folks on the radio, plenty of people on social media, comedians like myself, who are willing to be nasty and uh, get a laugh out of it. But while Romney's fellow Republicans are slamming Biden for not shooting down the balloons sooner, I mean, Kevin McCarthy told CNN that the U.S. should never have let the surveillance mechanism even enter the country. <sighs> I think sanity will out. So thank you, Mitt Romney. I don't take back anything I said, because that would be flip-flopping, and that's your job. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying, um, so it's Thursday. That's when we're normally blessed by the company of Professor Corey Brechneider, who you know, of course, where he teaches at the Poli-Sci Department at Brown. He's been writing analyses of our politics for Politico, The New York Times and Time. You should own his book, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents at your favorite bookstore. Also, um, the Penguin Liberty Series books of his on free speech, impeachment and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. Every now and then, Professor Brechneider brings along a colleague uh, to to introduce to our listeners and tonight i'm really excited because he didn't just bring behind uh bring along an acclaimed author he's brought along his favorite student of all time and if you're listening and you once studied at brown with professor brett schneider i want you to know at best your second favorite 
because Fatin Abbas is the author of Ghost Season, a novel. Now, she's had an amazing life story. Her family fled political persecution uh, in the Sudan following the 1989 military coup perpetuated by the former Sudanese autocrat Omar al-Bashir, a special kind of evil. She's a refugee. She's a child of a dissident. Her dad was imprisoned for speaking out against the regime. And she went on to cover Sudan for The Nation magazine before going full-time into writing and teaching. Her short fictions appeared in The Warwick Review and Friction. Her journalism and essays have been everywhere from Le Monde to, well, The Nation. And her new novel, uh, Ghost Season, is all about the very complicated and strange politics and personal dynamics of Sudan and the international aid groups that are supposedly there to help. The New York Times just called her book a haunting account and a daring debut. It is a great pleasure to welcome Fatin Abbas and a somewhat lesser great pleasure to welcome back Corey Brechneider. <laughs> Hello to you both. Thank you. Hi. Hi. And for the Thank Brown you. students, I will say I taught ha- Fatin when she was a high school student at the United Nations School. I think I was 22. And uh, I knew then, I really did, that this was <laughs> an extraordinary person who was going to write something just brilliant. And as as you, you said, she, she has. So really looking but forward I mean, to it. Would, would you have guessed, though, that she'd become such an acclaimed writer, both in terms of, you know, nonfiction journalism and uh, a novel. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive. I, I think, you know, the kind of person that she was at the time and the kind of writer, even from a young age, I wouldn't say this literally about anyone else. I've taught thousands of students, but this was just an extraordinary person who I knew had lived through extraordinary things. And that combo suggested to me you were going to just see something that was incredible and her students are seeing it and are teaching uh berlin and now at mit and the world is now seeing it in this really amazing novel dramatic tense about the politics of sudan and and also a story that that's gripping uh from the beginning to the end oh thank you so much (laughs) corey yeah i have to say i mean yeah also to just you know have corey as a teacher at that age i sort of think that you know, I am where I am because of the amazing teachers that I had, and Corey was one of them. So I am also just, yeah, I was so lucky to to be able to study with you when I was at that age. I feel like Corey is uh, is my amazing teacher every Thursday night, and I've learned a lot <laughs> from him about, about my society. But I, I have to say, you know, in addition to this just being a gripping and entertaining story, there's so much for people who care about the Sudan, who care about the culture and the people, but don't know that much about it. Let's be honest, our media doesn't cover the situation all that well. And so I want to thank you because... <laughs> There's so much about the history and the culture that really shocked me and inspired me in many ways. And I have many, many questions for you about the book. By the way, Dave Eggers just called this utterly mesmerizing and a brilliant depiction of the blurry psychological and physical borders that divide Sudan and South Sudan. Could you just before I ask you about the book, uh, Fatin, could you could you share a bit of your story with us in terms of what happened to your father and how it was that you came to make the journey here? Yeah, so we, I mean, I was born in Sudan and I spent my early childhood there. And then in 1989, my father was a professor at the University of Khartoum, who was actually an English literature professor. So this is also where my love of books and writing comes from. Um, and like many professors and students at the university, who is, who is very politically active always, even as a student, 
And when this military coup, when Omar al-Bashir, the previous dictator who was in power, he came to power in 1989 and remained in power until 2019, so for 30 years. Um, when when he uh, undertook this coup in 1989, my father uh, signed a statement along with other professors and students at the time, who's also the head of the, the professor's trade union um, in, in Khartoum. And so he signed this a statement um, kind of declaring his opposition to the coup. Um, and within the first few days of the coup, he was arrested. And one of my very vivid um, memories from my childhood was is actually that night when me and my mother went, we were coming from my aunt's house and we arrived home and there was my dad's best friend standing outside and informing us that the security police had come and picked him up and mm. he was gone. And for about maybe six months, my mother didn't know where he was being held, whether he was alive or dead. She was sort of going from one police station to one security office looking for him and kind of just being, you know, um, turned elsewhere. And then finally discovered after months of asking um, that he was being detained in the largest prison in Khartoum, which is called Kober prison. It's a very famous prison that was built by the British actually originally when mm -hmm. they were colonized in Sudan. Um, and it's a prison where a lot of the, the political detainees are, are kept. And so, um, and eventually, we, you know, again, she managed by, to, by talking to the prison um, authorities, she found a, a kind of, uh, prison ward, warden who was sympathetic, they allowed us to visit. So I also have these memories of going to visit my father in wow. prison when I was young. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, he was very lucky, my father, because he was released within a year. He was not subjected to some of the horrific things that some, some of the other political prisoners were subjected to, like torture. And um, so he came out in one piece. And at that point, you know, it became clear to my parents that we had to leave. Um, and so my mother applied, she was working for the UN Sudan and she, you know, one way she decided to get out was to just apply for, for a job in the US. And she took us with her for the interview. My dad was not, they were not giving him permission to leave the country. And she just decided that, you know, either if she got the job, great, we would stay. And if um, she didn't, we would stay and declare asylum. And she was very lucky and got the position. And then um, we stayed. And then about six months or a year later, my father was let out of the country, also with the help of Fulbright, because he'd had a Fulbright before going right. to prison. And they kind of really pressured the, the government to bring him over. So that's how we ended up in in the U.S. in 1990. Can I ask, can I, can I ask a question? Um, yeah. is, is it true that 30 years later, in 2019, when Bashir was finally deposed, is it true that he was sent to the same prison your father yes. had been locked up in? Yes, he's still there. So this is this, some kind of strange karma of the universe. I mean, wow. he's, he's ended up in the same exact prison um, that my father was in. So, yeah, yeah. I have many, many questions um, and about your writing process as well. Early in the novel, I guess one of the events that really kicks off the, the action of the story, a, a badly burned corpse is yeah. brought into an NGO uh, compound. And I'm, I'm, when I, at first I was like, oh, it is, it's, it's a murder mystery. But 
the corpse sets the story in motion and it really kind of serves as a metaphor as well. I'm curious about why you chose to open with, um, well, why you chose such a violent symbol to begin the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because the corpse was the first thing I wrote and I didn't really know where I was going with it. Um, really? I think now that I've written, yeah, it was one of these things where it just happened and I knew it was very important, but I didn't myself in the way that, you know, when you write a novel, you kind of make sense of it only in the end, at the end, when you get to the, you know, final page. But um, for me, you know, the way I understand it now is that um, the corpse is more a metaphor or a symbol um, and that yes. I was writing this novel in the aftermath of the secession of South Sudan. South Sudan seceded from Sudan in 2011 and then immediately collapsed into civil war, which was very sad after decades of kind of, you know, fighting for independence, the South also then collapsed into civil war. So I think for me, it, it's I make sense of it as a kind of metaphor for the way that the nation state, any nation state, which is built on um, on inequality, on, on oppression and inequality um, is sort of already dead upon birth somehow. So yes. so this idea of a, of a burned body um, was speaking to that, to the way that both Sudan and South Sudan had somehow failed as, as nation states in the post-independence period. It also seems, and, and tell me if I'm, if I'm mistaken, that there's a, another metaphorical theme running through the book of, of not belonging, not being able to belong, both the character of Dina, who I, I think is based on you, and the corpse as well, because the corpse has been deliberately burned, so they can't tell who it belongs to. And mm -hmm. it sort of seems like that kind of displacement uh, is a theme that you return to again and again in the novel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, yeah, the, this, also it's important that the corpse is burnt because this is a, a novel set in a town where ethnic identity is very important, which group you belong to. And so suddenly you have this body that's completely unidentifiable because it's, it's burnt. Um, and then that sets into question this, this whole, uh, idea of how do we, how do we identify and distinguish between people, right? When you just have a corpse, then who does it belong to if we can't actually right. tell? Yeah. Um, the character of Dina, we, we meet in the beginning of the book where she's filming a boy, and I, I kind of assume that that is meant to be you, that you are the storyteller, that you are, you know, documenting your homeland. Mm -hmm. And she's also Sudanese-American, and she's also someone who is struggling with belonging. Yeah, she is absolutely inspired. I mean, her story is inspired by my life story. Um, and I also spent some time making, uh, doing filmmaking, so that also comes in. But, you know, I, with her, I was thinking about this uh, being a diasporic writer and sort of turning the lens, so to speak, on my own place of origin. And so what does it mean um, for her to be documenting and filming and making art out of her country of origin? And it's a question I have for myself also. So it was kind of grappling with these questions of you know how is she looking at at this town and the people around her and how you know um how what does it mean that she is she doesn't belong there but she is also from there um so yeah so absolutely she's it's tied to my life story and the character of dina is also gay and mm -hmm. that uh, i found interesting but it really 
it leads to a lot of history. And I have to say, I had no idea there were there was such a rich history of, of pre-colonial, I, I guess you could call it same-sex marriage, of, of mm-hmm. women marrying each other and exchanging uh, the dowry of brides. Um, I'd like to ask how you decided to make her a queer character, and if you could tell us a bit about these indigenous cultures in Sudan, sure. because I kind of think Americans can learn a lot from them. Sure. Yeah. I also with her, she started off as very androgynous. um, And then it also became in the writing of the character clear to me that uh, she she's gay, she's queer. And it has to do also with not only just her sexuality, but the way that she's pushing against and um, challenging all of these conventions of normative womanhood, right? She's she's a woman who's making art. She's not getting married and having babies. She is physically free in moving around this town when all, you know, William, the other character, the translator tells her, you're a woman, you shouldn't, you know, you have to be kind of uh, careful. And she's like, no, I I will go where I want to go. Um, And so I think for me, it's also the queerness has to do with the way that she is challenging these these limitations of of sort of normative femininity and womanhood and and is kind of uh, creating this new identity for herself. Um, and in terms of indigenous culture and queerness, there's absolutely, I think, not only in Sudan, um, but all over the world and also in in ancient um, cultures, you know, documented uh, practices of same sex sort of marriage uh, and and queer sexuality. And one of the one of the the actually things that that um, when it comes to colonialism uh, is that, you know, it's argued sometimes that colonialism actually imposed a very um, sort of, you know, gender normative idea of of what it means with sexuality and gender mean and actually that there's a much richer much richer and broader and wider variety of of uh sexuality and gender in different cultures and different ancient practices indigenous and current yeah I mean, I, your research must have been astonishing, but you really do, uh, you know, I, I really learned that in so many cultures, and this is shocking to Americans, that acceptance of same-sex relations is the conservative point of view. It is a mm-hmm. traditional point of view, which I think mm-hmm. would shock a lot of Americans who think this was all invented in the 1960s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, has the novel been published yet in Sudan? The novel hasn't yet been published in Sudan. Uh, there's some readers because it just came out now in the U.S. first, and there's there are Sudanese readers who are reading it, and and kind of I'm getting these first reactions from Sudan, which has been really interesting. And so far, it's been a really positive response. Actually, it's been really uh, really wonderful to feel that the novel is resonating um, with people in the way that it's depicting conflict and depicting the relationship between Sudan and South Sudan. Um, and so that's really been great because it is, it's also a scary thing to write this novel and to kind of put it out and 
and to see yeah how how people actually react to it so it's it's been very positive so far from professor brettschneider you're you're still here (laughs) i know you want to jump in i'm loving listening to this and and in some ways don't want to interrupt but i have a question i'm dying to ask fatten which is you know i i've followed your work for so long and of course you wrote about sudan for the nation uh, more in a journalistic mode uh non-fiction mode and of course it's a, a different genre of writing so i was wondering you know um when you pivoted to fiction just about the differences and what it allowed you to say uh that you really couldn't say uh through your journalistic and and non-fiction writing i think for me i've always been drawn to literature to fiction specifically because i think there's something so powerful about the way that fiction puts you in a very visceral way in the experience of other people. Um, And that there's a way in which you can understand things emotionally through fiction that maybe you can't get through more uh, journalistic, non- Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, I think the best journalism is, is as good as any fiction, but you know, I, I still, yeah, there's something about being immersed in a three or four or 500 page novel and living that life out with characters and in a place and getting to know a place that I think is absolutely powerful. And I feel, you know, when I was growing up during, you know, as a teenager, just the reading that I did, the the Russian novelist that I was reading or it's just the way that it took me to different parts of the world and the way that I, I had this interest and understanding and 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 allowed me to really escape my own bubble. So I think that's, that's something that that fiction really can do. That that absolutely, um, yeah, really made me want to be a writer. Well, you are certainly you are certainly gifted in in both disciplines. We we have to hit a hard break, Corey. I was going to ask you questions about Jack Smith, but I'm sorry it wasn't interesting. This is so amazing. Uh, <laughs> Fatin Abbas is the author. The book is Ghost Season, a novel. It is on sale now. I cannot wait to finish it. <laughs> I'm sorry I wasn't able to finish the book before we started, but it's gripping, and I've already learned so much. Please come back anytime, and uh, we'd love to talk with you about what's going on in the Sudan or your other work as well. Corey, great having you here. Let's uh, let's let's talk about some Supreme Court stuff next time okay sounds great thank you fadden really thank you so much again the book is called ghost season a novel highly recommended thank you so much for joining us we will be right back with your calls on sirius xm that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. 
again, Burt Bacharach had his songs covered by over a thousand different artists, from Aretha Franklin to the White Stripes to the Carpenters. And we want to know how you guys are doing. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Let's go to the phone. Some of y'all have been waiting a while. Doug in California. Thank you for your patience. Hey, John. Uh, hey. Burt Bacharach was a just a radio fixture in the late 60s. Well, early to late 60s, when I was coming up, uh, you know, when I began listening to music to stay glued to my radio. Yeah. And uh, Dionne Warwick was, uh, to me, she was just a little bit tame, you know. I, I, it, wasn't, hmm. it wasn't necessarily my style of music. Yeah. And, and I thought, ah, Burt Bacharach, you know, he, he, he's okay. And then later, like, and it, unfortunately, it was like 40 years later, I started finding out about all of the other things that he had, yeah. and, you know, that he wrote that other bands covered. And one of my favorites of the 60s was My Little Red Book. That mm-hmm. was I know that one. Love. And apparently, Burt Bacharach's version of it and Love's version of it had some different chord progressions that were considerably different and Bert really? Backrack didn't like Love's production uh, you know presentation of it but they were very successful with that number and on that same note I think it was it was Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd even pulled that guitar riff from that same song on a very early uh Pink Floyd album I think it was Piper at the Gates of Dawn Oh, so, which song? Do you remember? No, I've got to go track this down. Just, just, you know, when I started thinking about what kind of stuff, you know, well, it gave me a better appreciation for the guy. And, it's the uh, same with me. Yeah. It, you know, when I, I when I grew up, I was a kid of the 80s and 90s, and Burt Bacharach was something that you know, my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation listened to. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but then I was um, like, wait a second. Oh, Arthur's theme? He wrote, he, he won an Oscar for that. He wrote an Oscar for Raindrops Keep yeah. Falling on My Head. I, I, yeah. I never knew when I was a kid that always something there to remind me was a Burt Bacharach song. And I'll tell you something. For Gen X uh, music fans... Elvis Costello turned so many people under the age of 30 onto Burt Bacharach when they released that album in the late 90s, Painted from Memory, and with the song God Give Me Strength. And um, that was what really, I think, introduced a whole new generation to the kind of compositions this man did. He was uh, he was quite the guy. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Now, with the, the, that, it's sad he's gone, but a lot of people I'm will a, listen to the music. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a next day listener usually. So oh. I, I stayed up for this. I, I stayed up out here for this. But uh, Doug, I hope it was worth it. Time. I hope it was worth it. We got to give oh, him a press. Yeah, let, let's give him a. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, we'll give great. you a. Uh, yeah, listen, I'll a tell lot. you what. I want you to stay on hold. We're going to give you a special prize. We're going to give you Chris Houseelt's home phone number. Okay, because you called oh, in tonight. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Doug. Call us more often. Thanks have, for having great taste in music. I don't even Chris, have I a home. I got to thank him somehow. Let me come on. Just work with me. Bruce in California. Hello and welcome. Hey, how's it going? Hey, uh, Great. before I get to what I was going to talk about, Burt Bacharach, there was a couple, since it was State of the Union on the 7th, there was a couple, I think, important dates. In Tell me. Rock. Uh, the Beatles arrived in New York on that day, Friday, two That's days right. before they uh, went on the Ed Sullivan show, which mm-hmm. is today. Uh, that caller yesterday was wrong. Okay. That's right. I know. I thought yeah. I thought I was wrong, and then I was going through my notes, and it's like, nope, he was a day early. Yes, he was. And then uh, it's the um, 
1976, February 7th, 1976, was uh, Paul Simon's one and only solo number one, uh, 50 Ways to Lose, uh, Lose Your Lover. Was his, yes. Was, uh, became number one on that day. Who could but, forget uh, those lyrics? T- tell her you're gay, Ray. Yeah. Um, what will yeah. <laughs> leave her in the bed? Ahmed. I don't remember all of the words, but uh, uh, right. something like that. Yeah, yeah. But as far as Burt Bacharach, I don't know if you knew this. Burt Bacharach and Hal David's first number one charted song was a country song by one of my favorite country artists, Marty Robbins. A story of my life in 1950. I think it was released in 57. Became number one in 1958. Ah. So his, his their very first number one song was a was actually. A country song, or chart, or was number one in country charts. Well, I, I, I mean, and, we a lot of country artists really had success with his tunes. And I was talking earlier today. You know, the they wrote the song for Gene Pitney, the man who shot Liberty Valance for the for the great John Ford movie, one of my favorite movies. But John Ford hated the song, so it was put on the album, but it was never included in the film. You know, I love that song. I love that, and I, I even like I like James Taylor's version too of that. Yeah, song, you're right. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and. Um, now their their very first charted song was actually the I think it just came out a little bit earlier. It was Perry Como "Magic Moments," which I really like a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. Um, oh, I, I know. Yes, I do. Not this magic moment, but magic moments. Yes. Yeah, my yeah, parents are big Perry their, Como. That was their. Whoa. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. I was uh, raised I, by I like big Perry Como, Como fans. <laughs> Yeah, I like Barry Como. I, I like Barry Como and Dean Martin. I know this might be sacrilegious, better than Frank Sinatra. Not that I don't like Frank Sinatra, but... That's I not sacrilegious. No, no. I, 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 I Listen, Bob, you know who's a Perry Como fanatic is Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob loves Perry Como, and he talks about him on Theme Time Radio Hour and in his new book as well. Like, I wish my parents were still alive so I can tell them that, oh, Bob Dylan likes the same artist as you. Because my, I think the only concerts my parents ever went to were Julie Andrews and Perry Como. So I'm glad he's having oh, a moment wow. being hip again. And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. glad that, you know, I'm sad that we've lost Burt Bacharach, but there's so many young people who are going to hear all these songs and hear about all this that are going to start listening to his stuff and be turned on and inspired by how intricate his compositions were. So it's oh, yeah. good music. It deserves to be spread around, and I'm, I'm glad a lot of young people are going to discover it now. Oh, definitely. The, uh, all the Dionne Warwick uh, songs that they wrote were, were fantastic, I think. I'm, yeah. I'm old. I'm 68. You know, so that's I, old. Oh my God, I didn't know that was yeah. old. Holy shit! Okay. Well, I mean, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I, 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 I hear maybe this is another sacrilegious thing. I, I, I like Whitney Houston. I thought, but I think I like Dion Warwick better. I, I know that's you know, not sacrilege. That's your taste. That's not sacrilege. <laughs> By the yeah, way, yeah. Carol King. I, Carol Carol King turns eighty today. Okay, you're twelve years younger oh, yeah, than her. And she's fine. She's fine. Oh yeah, so none of that. Yeah, yeah she. One of the greatest songwriters ever. And I'm glad that she got elected, you know, not only as a, uh, they now she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I never understood why she was put in originally as just, uh, I think it was a, as a writer, not a, you know, performer. You you, you really don't understand why, why Jan yeah. Winner would put her in as just a writer and uh, not as a performer? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he's a, I think he's a big douchebag. Mm-hmm. We can talk mm-hmm. about the uh, mm-hmm. Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. I mean, mm-hmm. my favorite group of all time 
is not in the, you know, Jethro Tull is my favorite group, and they're still not in the Rock and Roll Hall. We can bitch about this all night. Look how long they waited to put in the Velvet Underground. Look how long they waited to put in George Harrison. Look, they finally put in Gil Scott Heron, the godfather of hip-hop last year, but in like some early influencers category, not even as a a regular artist, please. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It's it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Popularity. Yes, yeah. but Carol Carol King will have the last laugh on them. So happy birthday to her. And again, 68, come on. You're 12 years younger than the president. You're 12 years younger than Harrison Ford, for God's sakes. Act like it. All right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. I appreciate it. we got to take a quick break. When we return, more of your calls at 866-997-GRIT. Back in two. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now it is time for another installment of something I wait all week for, the Minority Report with our own Thea Harper. Hey, John. Hey, wh- why wasn't Kendrick Lamar up for Album of the Year at the Grammys? I know he won Best Rap Album for the Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I, it's my favorite record of the year, but I don't think even think he was up for Best Album. No, he wasn't. <sighs> well, now I'm really glad I didn't watch. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? I'm I'm really good. I'm I'm looking forward to your segment tonight because you've brought like you are the master at bringing under the radar stories that everyone should know about that I don't know about. And this week you've done it again. You've brought something incredibly inspiring and wonderful and then something incredibly horrible and awful. I'm not sure which one we should start with. Um, I think we should start with the EMS workers. All right. Um, This is a really ugly story. Uh, This is the sort of thing, you know, we, we talk a lot about police abuse you you don't really think about that sort of awful treatment coming from ems workers two pe- people who are literally paid to save lives please set the stage for us what has happened in the state of illinois yes so two illinois ems workers peggy finley and peter uh, cadigan are being held um in jail on a $1 million bond for the alleged murder of a black man, Earl Moore Jr. They are each facing first-degree murder charges for failing to provide adequate care, which resulted in Earl Moore's death. Mm. Now, they got him because they were wearing body cams, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, Pe- Peggy Finley and Peter Cadigan responded to the home of Earl Moore on December 18th last year, 2022, and was suffering from hallucinations caused by alcohol withdrawal. When Finley and Cadigan arrived, police body camera footage recorded them. 
And you could see um, them just really being aggressive with him and and yelling at him, um, you know, telling him to sit up and tell him to quit acting stupid. And there was at one point, one of the uh, workers, uh, EMS workers said, we we ain't carrying you. And I and I'm seriously not in the mood for this dumb shit. And then and then the paramedics uh, strapped uh, Earl Moore to a stretcher in a prone position, uh, the police said, and um, pretty much is what led to his his death. Um, He died. I mean, he died. Yes. Mm hmm. And and when you watch the the actual body cam footage, you can you can tell that this man's not right. You can tell he's not well from mm-hmm. everything I've read. But they just keep swearing at him, and they call him stupid. And you're right, like they're you know not in the mood for this. And and they finally strap him down. And I just I have a really hard time imagining them doing something to I don't know, let's say a 22 year old blonde female going through right. alcohol withdrawal. Yeah, or even a white male. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, what what finally happened? Now they they did they, they is it true that they strapped this poor man to a stretcher face down? Face down. Um, I've never heard of such a thing. Correct. So, um, you know, it says despite it being a routine procedure, the two paramedics neglected to check Moore's vitals and ultimately strapped him down on a stretcher face down. And one of one of the workers uh, lied to the investigator, saying he never received training on the risk of transporting a patient this way. Yeah, I think they probably train you to strap them face up on a stretcher. I don't know. Call me crazy. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and what else did he lie about? Um, and then the other worker lied about uh, the ambulance lights being on during the transport. Um, and uh, but the surveillance footage showed that the lights and sirens were off. Oh, my. So this poor man is is going through alcohol withdrawal, which is a terrible mm-hmm. thing if you've never witnessed it. They, they they're called to his home. They're EMT workers. They berate him. They put him down. They strap him face down. Oh, I can't even imagine this. And then they never turn on the flashing lights on the ambulance. They just never. take their time. Never. Um, according to the autopsy, it says his cause of cause of death was a positional um, asphyxia by the manner which he was restrained, which is similar to how uh, George Floyd died. Because this guy was going through the shakes and they strapped him face down and he you know, he had no air and he died. Oh. Yeah. You know, what's you know, what's heartbreaking is that, you know, this man was battling an alcohol addiction and he called 911 in hopes that he would be helped and provided the proper care. You know, but they didn't do that. Um, you know, when they, you know, they threw him on to the to the gurney like he was like he wasn't even human, like he was a doll. Yeah. You know, he did not deserve that, and he he should be alive today. Mm. And I know this is a lot of people are comparing this to Elijah McLean, who was mm-hmm. only twenty three because he was partially killed by the paramedics. I mean, when they when they put a sedative in him after the police had him in a chokehold. Yeah. Wow, what a ho- so so these these two these this it's a man and woman right the two paramedics they're they're behind bars now they're charged mm-hmm. with murder a million dollar bond I'm yes. hoping they're facing some serious jail time for this yeah uh, they can um, get uh, up to sixty years in prison God, if convicted. 
Well, I mean, I'm glad they've been arrested, and I'm glad there'll be justice for this poor man, but it just seems like that's that's not enough. This never should have happened. Yeah, no, not justice. There, there might be some accountability. It is my hope that um, this is, again, why body cams, it, it just, it's beginning to make a difference. It took years. We thought it would make people behave right away, but it's just incredible that this many public servants think that they can have body cam footage, act in the most heinous of ways, and still get away with it. Yeah. Um, in, in response to Earl Moore's death, there was a state senator that wants to introduce uh, body cam legislation for EMS workers. Um, right on. So I'm not sure how much that will help because, I mean, even with the body cam footage for police, we're, we're still um, seeing uh, the, the killing of um, innocent black people. I'll say, my God. Uh, I'm sharing that story on my Twitter for anyone who wants to read it, but I, I need you to chase this away. I think I'm glad we started with the awful dark story first. And again, I'm I'm, I'm glad these people aren't getting away with it. But my God, I, I, I think I need you to tell our listeners a little bit about uh, David Balligan, this nine-year-old boy in Pennsylvania. Yes. So David Balligan, um, he is an amazing nine-year-old um, in Pennsylvania who has just graduated from high school and is off to college. Whoa, 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 whoa. How, how old is he? Nine years old. Nine. And he's, yeah. he's finished. So he's he's a genius. He's, he's not in a rush. He's just a, a, a genius child. Yes, definitely a genius. And he tested out of elementary and middle school shortly after enrolling at the Reach Cyber Charter School in Harrisburg and mm-hmm. began his high school studies. Um, and... Although going to college was not a part of his original plan, um, at, at such a young age, he changed his mind after realizing it was possible. Um, and he started high school right after finishing eighth grade in two and a half months. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa, whoa wait. Yeah. This, this, he, he, he was like, he had, he, this child finished eighth grade in two and a half months. Two and a half months. Was he in yes. a classroom or is he studying online? It was an accelerated online um, Ah, program. I see. I see. I I know he just wanted to graduate early, but I mean, Mm -hmm. at this point, they they set a goal, didn't they? That he would graduate high school by the age of 10. Yeah. So his like like you said, initially, the goal was just to for him to graduate early. And then uh, after third grade, the teacher said that he should, you know, go to fourth grade. And then at that point, he decided that he wants to graduate at the age of 10. And um, his mom said, if you put the effort in, um, you know, sh- she'll advocate for him and and then um, he will be able to graduate. Then he was able to graduate at the age of nine. Wow. I, I know this kid was on uh, Good Morning America. He's extremely yeah. cute. What, 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 is he, yeah. what does he want to do with his life? What does he know what he wants to be? He wants to be an astrophysicist. Wow. Yeah. Nine-year-old astrophysicist at high school yes. already. All but, right. Um, <laughs> wow. Just amazing. Thank you so much, Thea, for this. I I, I needed this story. This just totally Thank inspiring. You. And the kid's so cute, too. Thank you. And the great Thea Harper. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at 866-997-4748. Hey, Bill in New Jersey. What's up? You're our last hey. caller before the break. Oh, okay. Um, Hi. What I was calling about is uh, China. You know, Please. they're probably pretty pissed off that we're taking back the chips industry, mm-hmm. and they're looking at losing their number one customer. 
So I wouldn't expect anything really diplomatic out of them. That's you know, a they're fair pissed point. as hell, and uh, uh, Biden's hanging his hat on this one. I'm sure. You know, it's a big problem for China because, you know, I, I was thinking during that during that State of the Union speech, I bet you China yeah. was more angry at how much Joe Biden was talking about buying products made in America than they were angry about yeah. their spy balloon being shot down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on the uh, serious side, Daria, Sarah, was it Huckabee? She mm-hmm. named yes. her kid Huck, as in Huckleberry Huckabee? Yes. Huck Huckabee. And, and that shows good decision making. She was also looked like a still photo. You know, she didn't enunciate. She was like monotone. Her arms didn't move. It, it was like she's got she's <laughs> the worst speaker ever. Did you like I mean, did you like, though, that Carrie Lake loaned her the filter in the background? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I've been working on this. I think for the next uh, speech, they should have a crazy side and a normal side. And mm-hmm. that the uh, Supreme Court should do a human pyramid in the back. What do you think? <laughs> oh, oh, they and they should all wear wigs like in Parliament and and gowns and stuff, so they won't talk about trans stuff. What do you think? <laughs> I, I I I think I need more free time so I can think up stuff like that. You are a gentleman, <laughs> Bill, and I thank you very much for the call. This is progress after dark. Look around; you can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.